Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. You know, ladies and gentlemen, they say justice is blind, but I think lately she's um, deaf, too, perhaps, and uh, maybe lacking a couple of other senses. I'm put in mind of that thought by this story. Remember Jeffrey Epstein, the rich guy with the thing, with the uh, thing for young girls and flying them around to islands with uh, famous and uh, rich other rich people and scientists and stuff. Lately, we've heard about him and uh, Bill Gates. Talk about Microsoft. Anyway, this in this week on the subject of Jeffrey Epstein, you remember he was uh, reported to have killed himself in jail after he was arrested a couple years ago. Well, sir, (laughs) nutty thing. You know, because he was in jail. So how do you commit suicide in jail? Because, you know, you're under guard and... Oh, the two Bureau of Prisons workers tasked with guarding Jeffrey Epstein the night he killed himself have admitted they falsified records about guarding him is all. You know, the records about, hey, we prevented him from killing himself. Those records. And, of course, they have been seriously disciplined. They have been, uh, well, they were prevented from, they've been kept in, well, here's what they did. They slept and browsed the Internet instead of monitoring Epstein the night he killed himself two years ago. They were charged, charged, I tell you, with lying on prison records to make it seem as though they had made the checks on him before he was found in his cell. As part of a deal with prosecutors, the prison workers will enter into a deferred prosecution agreement. These are the sorts of things that are normally reserved for uh, major corporations. You know, we we won't prosecute you this time, but you better not do it again. Deferred prosecution agreement with the Justice Department will serve no time behind bars. They could have guarded themselves if they'd been behind bars and then not done it. This um, became known this week when federal prosecutors filed court papers on Friday. They will be subjected to supervised release to make sure that they don't, what, browse the Internet when they get out? They'll be required to complete 100 hours of community service and be required to fully cooperate with an ongoing probe by the Inspector General of the Justice Department. That's a relief. The two have admitted, according to the Associated Press, that they, quote, willfully and knowingly completed materially false count and round slips regarding required counts and rounds in the housing unit where Epstein was being held. And it's just, you know, a guy at the center of a thing... So why would you want us to, pun- to punish the people who, you know, didn't make sure that he didn't get offed before he could be tried, is all. I think, I think justice is not only blind, deaf, and um, maybe can't smell either, but I think she just left the room. Hello, welcome to the show. I lost Thursday. 
supernatural house Ways that we can be I left Thursday Inside your knapsack Packed in a zipped up sleeping bag Half the time you're feeling fine Uh, prison workers must know somebody from the home of the homeless I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show now news of our friend the Adam this and you're going to look up what plots is but you're going to plots when you hear this inadequate security at a nuclear plant run by tepco in japan again still more with the thing inadequate anti-terrorism measures were discovered at another nuclear power station operated by tokyo electric power it's number two plant in fuk according to the asahi shimbun it's a it's a fine shimbun the NRA said it found people, that's the uh, Nuclear Regulation Authority, people could have entered and exited through doors leading to nuclear material protection areas at turbine buildings in the nuclear plant without being properly checked. Your ID, sir? Oh, never mind. Fook number two is located south, as you would have thought, of Fook number one. TEPCO said there are passageways outside the doors, and the doors leading to the passageways were locked. It found no signs of trespassing there. But still, the NRA, the government's nuclear watchdog, believes the utility has failed to take proper anti-terrorism measures at the number 2 plant. It's required under new safety guidelines that were caused by the failure at the number 1 plant. 
Yeah, I know. It is funny. According to the NRA, a TEPCO worker on March 19th found insufficient security measures for a door at the turbine building for the number four reactor. Later, another inadequate door was detected at the turbine building at the number one reactor. TEPCO has locked the doors. The doors in question did not appear in the building plans, so the problematic security situation could have continued for more than 30 years since the plant started operations. In addition, doors without metal detectors were found at four or more locations inside the nuclear material protection areas at the turbine turbine buildings for all four reactors at the plant when the NRA inspected them in March. ID cards were required at the doors. The NRA rated the problems as the most minor in its four-scale security assessment. A couple of months ago, the NRA blasted TEPCO over its inadequate anti-terrorism measures at another plant in Niigata. Security devices at 15 locations in the plant to detect unauthorized entry had failed to function properly since March 2020. At 10 of those locations, the devices did not work for more than a month. Florida Power and Light's Turkey Point nuclear plant near Homestead, Florida will be subject to elevated scrutiny from federal regulators in the coming months after a series of unplanned reactor shutdowns. It's from the New Times' Broward, Palm Beach. It's probably the paper that uh, Rush Limbaugh read. In March, Turkey Point's Unit 3 reactor experienced its fourth unplanned shutdown in seven months, detailed in an inspection report released last week. The event caused the plant to be downgraded from a green to a white performance rating. The white rating represents performance outside an expected range of nominal utility performance, but related cornerstone objectives are still being met. Turkey Point's only one of three U.S. plants to have been hit with a downgrade. The other two are the Callaway Nuclear Plant in central Missouri and the Grand Gulf Facility in southeastern Mississippi, which... uh, believe is run by Entergy, the New Orleans-based utility. I think it delivers some nuclear power in the form of electricity to New Orleans. Federal rules dictate that if a nuclear reactor has more than three unplanned shutdowns in 7,000 operating hours, that's just about a year, the reactor's performance grade is lowered and the plant operator comes under a special evaluation by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That kicks in additional monitoring and additional inspection. And so we go back and verify that the licensees are aware of the situation, that they're determining how to improve their performance. Then we verify that their corrective actions will likely improve their performance. That's from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission branch chief, David Dumbacher. Federal regulators say they expect to complete the inspection by August. The report shows that the March 1 shutdown occurred during a routine test of Turkey Point's reactor protection system. Florida Power and Light linked the shutdown to a malfunction in the reactor trip breaker switch. Well, that can, those can happen. Come on. What do you? The company said in a report filed late April, all equipment functioned normally in response to the malfunction, except for the part that malfunctioned, of course. Federal regulators didn't issue any safety violations over the March shutdown. Last year, Turkey Point Unit 3 underwent three unplanned shutdowns in a short span of days, four days. The scrams were blamed 
on a cascade of equipment breakdowns and plant operator errors, is all. <laughs> Just a cascade of plant breakdowns, equipment breakdowns, and plant operator errors. Well, that could happen at any nuclear plant. And a stock control inspection, whatever the hell that is, has revealed that about 2,800 barrels of radioactive waste partly originating from the healthcare and defense industries, may have been handled carelessly. This is in Sweden, according to Swedish television. The barrels are reportedly stored incorrectly in a repository for short-lived, low- and intermediate-level waste, 200 feet below the bottom of the Baltic Sea, in Forsmark, where one of Sweden's seven nuclear plants is located. The barrels, dating from the 1970s and 80s, are said to be of no danger at the moment, may pose a risk in the future if not taken care of and repositioned properly, like they haven't been currently. You know, nothing to worry about. Nuclear power is a sensitive issue in Sweden. The government has ordered a comprehensive investigation to be carried out without a delay. The Swedish Environment and Climate Minister said the issue had been handled, quote, irresponsibly. Nuclear waste has been handled irresponsibly. The Swedish nuclear fuel management's officials said there had, are no indications that more nuclear waste existed in similar circumstances. The government will now have to make decisions on the financial costs of inspecting and, and restoring the waste and how it will be handled in the future. Oh, gosh. It's, it, it will, it, it's going it's in, in to... It wasn't in the budget first, and that's why we didn't. Clean, cheap, too expensive to meter. Our friendly Adam. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the clock is not only ticking, it's banging. News of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Eberthal III. Opposition among the Japanese public to the Tokyo Olympics is reaching new heights, according to the New York Times. Games, of course, just over two months away. A soaring coronavirus caseload led growing areas of the country to be placed under state of emergency. The country's vaccination campaign has gotten off to an agonizingly slow start. A public opinion survey released this week. 83% 83% of those polled said they didn't want Tokyo to hold the Olympics and Paralympics, up 14 points from a survey in April. But they're just public opinion surveys. And, maybe with more weight to it, the Tokyo Medical Practitioners Association wants the Games canceled, according to Reuters. The medical organization, which represents about 6,000 primary care doctors, posted an open letter to Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga, on its website, saying it would, quote, strongly request the authorities to arrange a cancellation. It would be an arranged cancellation, you see. Meanwhile, SoftBank Group founder and CEO Maya Soshi, Masayoshi Son has expressed fresh doubt about the Olympics. Quote, currently more than 80% of the people want the Olympics to be postponed or canceled. Who and or what authority is being forced through? Asked Son. He last week said he was afraid of holding the Olympics during the pandemic. 
The Reuters corporate survey showed that some 70% of big Japanese companies also want the games delayed or canceled. Hospitals in Osaka, Japan's third biggest city, only two and a half hours by bullet train from Tokyo, are overflowing with coronavirus patients, according to the Associated Press. 35,000 people nationwide, twice twice the number of those in hospitals, must stay at home with the disease, often becoming seriously ill and sometimes dying before they can get medical care. As cases surge in Osaka, medical workers say that every corner of the system has been slowed, stretched, and burdened, and it's happening in other parts of the country, too. Some see Osaka as a warning for what could happen to the rest of Japan if the crisis worsens at a time when officials and the world are focused on the Olympics. Many there are stunned by what's happening. Japan is the world's third biggest economy and has until now managed the pandemic better than many other advanced nations. But the current surge has seen the daily tallies of the sick and dying rise to new heights. It's like hell, says someone whose relative died there. And he doesn't mean like hell it is. He means it's like hell. But in reaction to all this, the vice president in charge of the postponed Olympics said Friday the games would open in just over two months, even if Tokyo and other parts of Japan were under a state of emergency. John Coates, speaking from Australia, news conferencing with Tokyo organizers, said this would be the case even if local medical experts advised against holding the Olympics. The advice we have from the World Health Organization and all other scientific and medical advice that we have is that all the measures we've outlined and are undertaking are satisfactory and will ensure a safe and secure games in terms of health, Coast said. And that's the case whether there is a state of emergency or not. That's got to be a safe Olympics. My goodness me. Even if there's a... Well, it's a movement. You know that. And we all need one. Every day. News of the Godly this week does not involve the Roman Catholic Church. It involves the Church of England. The Archbishop of Canterbury has issued a full personal apology to survivors of, quote, horrendous, unquote, abuse by a disgraced clergyman from the Church of England. That's why it's the Archbishop's business. Justin Welby, not not his brother Midas, Justin Welby, said, quote, I am sorry this was done in the name of Jesus Christ by a perverted version of spirituality and evangelicalism. It is clear that the impact of this has been widespread, unquote. During the 19, oh, way back in the 1970s and 80s, John Smythe, a barrister and head of a Christian holiday camp charity, groomed and violently beat teenage boys after forcing them to strip. You don't want to beat them when they're dressed. The archbishop, who was a dormitory officer at the camps, revealed he had recently met some of the victims, apologizing both for the abuse and because the meeting had taken so long to arrange, acknowledging the delay had caused, quote, much frustration and anger, unquote. He added, the church has a duty to look after those who've been harmed. We have not always done that well. I continue to hear new details of the abuse, and my sorrow, shock, and horror grows. I'm sure the victims care about his horror. The abuse was carried out at camps run by the 
I wern trust for boys from public schools before Smythe emigrated to Zimbabwe. Is that far enough away? A report by the trust made public four years ago revealed Smythe also took pupils to his home in Hampshire, where he repeatedly lashed them with a cane in his shed. One victim said they were beaten so badly they had to wear diapers to catch the blood. The archbishop said the church did not know about the abuse until 2013 because of a cover-up. Oh, okay then. He himself has been accused of failing to refer the allegations to social services and the police. He accepted victims were angry that Smythe was not stopped at that time when he, the archbishop, was told about it, but said he and the church were unclear on the, quote, utterly horrendous scope and extent of it in the U.K. and overseas. Quote, these victims are rightly concerned that no one appears to have faced any sanction yet, when it is clear a number of Christians, clergy, and lay were made aware of the abuse in the 1980s and many learned in subsequent years, saith the Archbishop. Two years ago, the Church commissioned an independent review of how it handled the allegations. That'll be completed by this summer at the earliest. Well, it takes two years to review why you didn't have a some church members had even facilitated the suspect's move to Africa, it was claimed. The archbishop said he had already made clear the national safeguarding team will investigate everyone who knew and failed to reveal the abuse. He also apologized to those victims he hadn't yet met. In 2017, the archbishop issued a general apology on behalf of the Church of England, quote, before we understood the full horror and scope of the abuse. The abuse. It is clear, he said, the impact of this has been widespread. Smythe died three years ago, aged 77 in South Africa, before police had had the chance to question him. Ah, just missed. News of the Godly.
and shoes and spats Shine so quick, make a shine rag snap Shine so fine, tip a nickel and a quarter Got enough change for whiskey, soda, water From the home of the homeless, this is the show. Big news from Washington this week. The failure or refusal of Congress, led by the Senate, led by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, to approve the House's plan for a bipartisan commission, supposedly independent, to investigate the events of January 6th, when uh, when there was some kind of ruckus there that involved people getting in where they didn't belong. And as I say, the uh, the plan has been scuttled. There are not the votes for it in the Senate. That decision has been accompanied by statements by Republicans that um, have attempted to sort of um, create a new narrative for that day and the events thereof. It was just like a regular tourist visit, said one Republican congressman. Following the lead of 
former President Donald Trump, who had said months ago that the uh, visitors were hugging and kissing the police, which must have come as a rude shock to the police who were assaulted with various weapons by the visitors. But, you know, maybe they just weren't watching carefully enough. And, uh, as I say, other other Republicans have joined in the the rewriting of that particular history. I'm not convinced that um, the most persuasive way to do that is comments in Congress. I think you need something more compelling. Maybe a folk ballad. Memories fade just as soon as they are made. You need no commission to know we had permission. Called by our leader to stand among the statuary On Capitol Hill, the 6th of January The 6th of January Shot by every phone which completely missed the tone But an insurrection just fixing a broken election Any more scrutiny would be so unnecessary Under the dome The 6th of January The 6th of January Always got wet, but it wasn't a real threat. The media missed all the policemen getting kissed. You saw the wrong video, the mood inside was merry. In both the chambers, the 6th of January. The 6th of January. Some citizens armed got the libs alarmed. Just a tour inside, no need for a guide. You could call us the people's judiciary, meeting the other branch on the 6th of January. Yeah, the 6th of January Will time in jail Be the end of our tale Will the FBI Help our freedom die 
Or will our leader save us from the adversary and enshrine the 6th of January? The 6th of January. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Not a good week for the mainstream media, both in the United States and in Great Britain. We'll get to that in a moment. Philadelphia's health commissioner has resigned under pressure after he confided to city officials he had authorized the cremation and disposal of remains from at least one of the black Philadelphians who were killed when police dropped a bomb on a row house where members of the communal anti-government group MOVE lived in 1985. The bomb, which the police had dropped from a helicopter, started a fire in the house. The police ordered firefighters to let it burn. Eleven people, including five children, were killed. More than 60 nearby homes were destroyed. The episode has for decades been held up as an example of the city's mistreatment of black people and the revelation that unidentified remains from at least one of the victims had been discarded without regard to the family's wishes touched off fresh waves of pain and anger. Many residents and activists believe city officials have never been held accountable for the bombing and the burning of a middle-class, mostly black neighborhood in West Philly. In 1988, a grand jury cleared officials of criminal liability for the death and destruction. The cremation was disclosed this week, exactly 36 years after the bombing, by Mayor Jim Kenney, who said he had learned on Tuesday that it had been carried out four years ago during his first term in office. He said he had apologized directly to members of the Africa family, who are still active in MOVE, and had ordered an investigation into the episode. He had also asked for and received the resignation of the health commissioner, and had placed the medical examiner, Dr. Sam Gulino, on administrative leave, pending an investigation. We need to address this, said Mayor Kenny in a news conference. This has been years now that the family has been abused and not listened to and taken seriously, and their wishes were never taken into account. Dr. Farley said he'd reconsidered his actions after University of Pennsylvania officials and Princeton University officials recently acknowledged anthropologists had been passing the bones of an unidentified victim of the bombing between them for the last 36 years. I believe my decision was wrong and represented a terrible error in judgment, said Dr. Farley, Farley in a statement. I profoundly regret making this decision without consulting the family members of the victims, and I extend my deepest apologies for the pain this will cause them. The Philadelphia City Council last year apologized for the bombing, said the cremation and disposal demonstrated, quote, a complete lack of care and concern for black lives. Former child star Ricky Schroeder apologized to a Costco employee Sunday after sharing a video of a confrontation over having to wear a face mask at an L.A. County Costco. The video shows the Silver Spoon star speaking with a Costco supervisor, Jason. Hello, I'm Jason who tells him that he isn't letting him into the store because the state of California, L.A. County, and Costco require face masks. And the guidelines haven't changed. Didn't you see the news? You didn't see the news, the actor has then heard responding. 
incident comes amid some confusion over the CDC updated guidance. It says fully vaccinated Americans no longer need to wear masks indoors or out. But local governments can choose to enforce stricter measures. In the video, Schroeder continues on about the people in power who destroyed our state before calling on his followers to get their refunds from, refunds from Costco. He has followers? And cancel their memberships until mask mandates are removed. Says the Costco employee, Costco is simply abiding by the law. Next day, Schroeder posted a second Instagram video in which he addressed the Costco employee. Jason, nothing personal. I'm not upset with you or anybody in a position like you who works for a living. I understand that you're following their laws and rules. I was trying to make a point to the corporate overlords and sorry that I had to use you to do it. But I do think that independence from medical tyranny is more important than hurting people's feelings. His initial video stirred backlash online. Big surprise. Last year, Schroeder made headlines when he donated to help bail out Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenager accused of fatally shooting two people during an August 25th demonstration in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Making friends wherever he goes. Deadline Mexico City proving it's not just us. Mexico's president presented an apology this week for a 1911 massacre in which over 300 Chinese people were slaughtered by revolutionary troops in the northern city of Torreón. The apology is the latest in a series of ceremonies in which President André Manuel López Obrador has sought to make amends for the mistreatments of indigenous and minority people in Mexico in the past. López Obrador said the point of the apology was to ensure <laughs> that this never, never happens again. Of course, apologizing does that. It ensures things never happen again. He noted that during the period Chinese were mutilated or hung from telegraph poles. There was no apology then. The discrimination was based on the most violent offensive stereotypes, he said, adding these stupid ideas were transferred to Mexico where extermination was added to exclusion and mistreatment. Unquote. Many Chinese laborers had emigrated to Mexico in the 1800s. In some cases, yes, to work on the railway. But many set up businesses, farms, and in Torreón, even a bank. The killings of 303 Chinese men, women, and children occurred during the chaotic period of the Mexican Revolution when revolutionary troops overran the city, sealing the fate of the longtime ruler Porfirio Diaz. The loss of the city led him to resign and leave for exiles. Torreón was a booming railway town. Control of it was key to rail lines north of the United States. Revolutionary troops took control of the town from Diaz's army once there, slaughtered many of its Chinese inhabitants, though some others hid or were saved by local residents. The victorious revolutionary government of President Madero agreed to pay reparations for the massacre. Imagine that. Madero himself was overthrown in 1913, and the payment was never made. It so sounds like another country on the North American continent. Acknowledging the mistreatment of the Chinese residents decades ago, a city in the United States, Antioch, California, formally apologized to the late immigrants and their descendants this week and committed to rectifying past misdeeds. Reparations? I don't know yet. Mayor Lamar Thorpe advanced the idea of a formal apology to the Chinese, something he said no other city has ever done 
during a news conference as he stood in Waldy Plaza, the former site of a Chinatown that was torched by an angry mob in 1876. I think we will be the first city, not only in the Bay Area in California, but throughout the United States, to officially apologize for the misdeeds and mistreatment of the Chinese, he said. Couldn't say in all of North America because, of course, of the Mexicans. And so this is this is no small thing that we're doing here today. This is a big deal, said the mayor of Antioch. Chinese immigrants came to California during the gold rush, working on mines and farms, building railroads and levees, but they encountered racism and became scapegoats between 1850 and 1870. It took 70 years for the state to formally apologize, which it did in 2009. But Antioch had never acknowledged its past as a sundown town, where Chinese were banned from walking the streets after dark. Remnants of tunnels the immigrants had built connecting to businesses and their homes can still be seen in some spots downtown. In uh, 1876, an angry white mob drove the Chinese out of town, giving them a few hours to pack their belongings and leave after they left. Their homes and businesses were burned down. Sounds like Mexico. The new Tesla Model S and Model X have been delayed for several months. I'm trying to grasp that concept that Tesla is delaying something. And now... For the most part, the uh, part of the electric vehicle community who are used to the idea of Elon time have been pretty silent about it. But recently, Musk's delays with the flagship vehicles were brought out in the open after UFC fighter Benif Dariush called out Elon Musk over the delays in his Tesla order. He scored a big win of his career on Saturday night, last. And then uh, he did a shout-out, did the fighter, after the match. During his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, Darius called out Elon Musk. He said his vehicle order had been delayed significantly. He says he needs his car now, since it's for his wife. Elon, where's my wife's car, bro? I've been waiting six months. I had a baby. I need a good car. I, I got to protect my daughter. Let's go, Elon. Get me my car. He said in a news conference following the fight, he noted he wants the safest car for his family. That's exactly what he ordered. December, I ordered my car, bro. I ordered the safest car, they told me. It's the best car for, you know, my pregnant wife, and I'm still waiting, Elon, bro. What's the deal, man? You told me March. We're coming up in June. I want my car. Come on, bud. I'm a big fan, but this is disrespect. Unquote. The ultimate fighting champion fighter. Musk responded to his call out in a post on Twitter. He noted that Darius's vehicle was, quote, coming soon. Unquote. The Tesla CEO added an apology saying he was, quote, sorry for the delay. Unquote. We're keeping track, bro. And speaking of Musk and his men, Coinbase, you know what Coinbase is? It's an exchange where you can trade Bitcoin and other digital currencies, don't you know? Anyway, his chief product officer issued a mea culpa this week, a day after the popular investing platform was among a number of venues that faced glitches and outages. They happened during a brief 
and brutal sell-off of cryptocurrencies. Prices tumbled. Sarojit Chatterjee said Coinbase apologized for the unreliability of our site and apps and pledged to make our system robust and be ready for the next time. Unquote. Like the next time the bottom drops out of the currencies? Okay. We'll be waiting. Comments came after several large crypto platforms, including Binance, experienced outages amid a crypto route that saw Bitcoin tumble to a nadir around $30,000, only to uh, recover somewhat later in a Ralph nadir. Coinbase is the largest publicly traded exchange in the United States, was out of commission during the most intense portion of Wednesday's selling. Its app was also unavailable for trading. Its outage was partially blamed for helping to amplify turbulence in crypto markets that swept into altcoins, including Dogecoin and Ether, on the Ethereum blockchain. Yes, it sounds like gibberish. And, as I say, problems for mainstream media in U.S. and U.K. First, CNN host Chris Cuomo publicly apologized to his colleagues after a Washington Post report found that he had coached his older brother, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, on how to respond to sexual harassment allegations. Shortly after the report was published, Cuomo said on CNN, there are stories about there me offering my brother advice. Of course I do. This is no revelation. I've said it publicly, and I've certainly never hidden it. I can be objective about just any topic, but not about my family. Those of you who watch this show get it. Like you, I bet. My family means everything to me, and I'm fiercely loyal to them. I am family first, job second. He said his roles as both a journalist and a brother to a politician posed a unique challenge. I understand why that was a problem for CNN. It will not happen again. It was a mistake because I put my colleagues here who I believe are the best in the business, in a bad spot. I never intended for that. I would never intend for that, and I'm sorry for that. Several women accused the governor earlier this year of sexual harassment. He has repeatedly disputed. The New York Attorney General and State Assembly are investigating the claims, and Cuomo also said he never tried to influence the network's coverage of that controversy. CNN told the Washington Post he had not been involved in the network network coverage of the governor, but it was inappropriate for Cuomo to join conversations with the governor's staff, and that would not happen again. And, answering the question in your mind, he would not face discipline over those calls. It's like he he forgot to guard Epstein. And now, you may recognize this voice, He was resigning after five years as host of ABC News Nightline a few years ago. Finally tonight, there are few privileges in this life more meaningful than being invited into somebody's home, and that's especially the case if you're a stranger. Many of you will know that famous verse in the New Testament where the writer says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. Now, I know that I don't have any angelic qualities, and yet for many nights over the last five years, you've granted me the privilege of entering your home and allowed me to tell stories, stories ranging from that remarkable election almost two years ago to the devastating gun attack in Connecticut earlier today. And as a result, I no longer feel like a stranger or a visitor, but have become a friend to this remarkable country. 
And so, as I leave this special broadcast, I want to thank each and every one of my colleagues here at ABC News, some seen, many unseen, and also to thank you, our viewers, for inviting us in and allowing me to share so many evenings with you. For all of us at ABC News, for the last time, good night, America, and goodbye. I'm not sure. I have not been able to find a reason why he left Nightline. He was suspended by ABC um, a little earlier in 2008. He was addressing a uh, conference of Asian-American journalists in Chicago. New York Magazine reported it at the time. He said, I'm happy to be in the midst of so many Asian babes, and I'm happy that the podium covers me from the waist down. He said a speech should be like a dress on a beautiful woman, long enough to cover the important parts and short enough to keep your interest, like my colleague Juju Chang's. He was suspended, as I say, after the incident, and he wrote an apology to the Asian American group. Upon reflection, it was a tasteless remark that I now bitterly regret. Why is that of interest now? Well, he is the center of a raging controversy in Great Britain. The BBC says it will return a BAFTA award it won in 1996 for its explosive panorama interview with Princess Diana after an independent inquiry savaged the deceptive tactics used by reporter Martin Bashir to secure the interview. A inquiry concluded that Bashir used forged bank statements to secure access to the Princess of Wales, convincing her that there were checks paid to people supposedly to keep an eye on her and encouraging her paranoia. Dyson, Lord Dyson, head of the inquiry, said Bashir deceived his way to the interview that made his name. While the BBC fell short of the high standards of integrity and transparency, which are its hallmark. Incidentally, after Bashir left Britain, came over here to America, worked for ABC, then worked for MSNBC, then left, reason unknown, the BBC hired him again as their religion editor. The BBC has apologized profusely and said, the Panorama interview received a number of awards at the time. We do not believe it is acceptable to retain these awards. Bashir had been named Journalist of the Year and Interviewer of the Year at the time. The Director General of the BBC, Tim Davey, says it is clear, quote, it is clear that the process for securing the interview fell far short of what audiences have a right to expect. We are very sorry for this. The current investigation found an initial investigation was, quote, woefully ineffective, describing the failure to interview Princess Diana's brother, Earl Spencer, as a uh, Big mistake. So they didn't scrutinize Bashir's account enough. Without justification, the BBC, BBC fell short of the high standards of integrity and transparency, the author of the current inquiry wrote. He also said it was the faked documents that uh, Bashir commissioned that led to the introduction and subsequent, his introduction to the princess and the subsequent interview. And Finally, Bashir has now released a statement apologizing for creating the fake documents. 
Quote, this is the second time I've willingly fully cooperated with an investigation into events more than 25 years ago. I apologize then, and I do so again now, over the fact that I asked for bank statements to be mocked up. It was a stupid thing to do, and was an occasion I deeply regret. The uh, fake bank documents were prepared by a digital designer who became a whistleblower in the case and was treated poorly by the BBC, according to the current inquiry. A um, member of parliament was asking the BBC why Bashir was rehired after, quote, they found he had lied three times and also he had had to resign from a mediocre American network, unquote. I think that's MSNBC. I don't think it's ABC, but, you know, everybody's welcome to respond and let me clear, clear this up. Uh, a Jonathan Dimbleby, whose interview with Prince Charles in 1994 was famously when he first admitted infidelity, said, quote, Bashir was a consummate con man and liar. He played on her existing fears of vulnerability. She was a very troubled and well-known by that time to be a damaged woman, and he scale- skillfully played on those to secure that interview, unquote. Which just leaves one more question. How much did ABC know about all this when they hired him to be the host of Nightline? The Apologies of the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Good night, America, and goodbye. See ya. A new study published Friday, ladies and gentlemen, News of Dominion, in the journal Communications Earth and Environment explores just how long Earth will be reeling from the consequences of the biodiversity crisis that we, you and I, and uh, our seven billion fellows and gals. The data suggests those consequences may outlast humans ourselves. To better understand the timetable for Earth's current extinction rates and recovery time, an international team of biologists, paleontologists, geologists, and modelers, I like, oh no, uh, look to compare the data of our current crisis with the previous one that saw an asteroid destroy roughly three quarters of all species on the planet. Researchers collected over 3,000 living and fossilized snail species that accounted for nearly 200 million years' worth of data to accurately gauge how quickly animal species go extinct or recover. Their results paint a grim future for Earth's future freshwater ecosystems. The extinction rate for freshwater creatures during the last mass extension event was higher than previous estimates. It doesn't even come close to the one we're experiencing today. Experts say that on average, today's extinction event is roughly three orders of magnitudes greater than the one caused by the asteroid millions of years ago. They warned it uh, at this current rate that planet is losing species at a level never once reached by any extinction event known in Earth's previous history. By 2120, nearly a third of all species living in fresh water will be gone. So let's all learn to drink salt water, ladies and gentlemen.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, on this same radio station, or a, a nice time for you with the audio device of your choice. And it would be just like not hiring Martin Bashir. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the little show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for the show, your chance to get cars, I t shirts, and the playlist of the music here are on, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station and the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.